if you have stuff for uh, Haiti that you brought, or the Bahamas uh, to bring to MFI, the McIntyres, raise your hand back there, Alec. Uh, they're going to uh, they're going to be taking it all up to MFI. So if you've got it in your car, make sure you bring it in or let them know before we do that. And uh, anyways, all right. So uh, uh, kids, once y'all get up, get ready, go. All right, heading off. Uh, let me share real quick with you what's going on with Haiti, the Bahamas, and, um, and here. Uh, I went and talked to Missionary Flights International, uh, went down there last Monday, I think it was, and it was kind of cool, uh, had a good conversation with them. And what they were saying is that Haiti uh, really didn't need stuff. Haiti was actually calling the, you know, the, the report coming back from Haiti was, Guys, everything we need, we have in-house. We, we have it. It's being uh, trucked in from the Dominican Republic, and our, our people in the stores have this stuff. But what Haiti needs is cash. How many of y'all need cash? You know what I'm saying? But, so you're like, dude, I need cash, man. But seriously, everything Haiti needs, they have in Haiti, but they need cash. And this was kind of an interesting concept I wanted to bring to you guys. Um, you know, MFI was telling me that after the earthquake, they got a lot of pushback from the business owners in Haiti. And it took them a while to figure out why, because the people in Haiti were grateful for all the things they brought. But what they realized later, the business owners finally opened up to them and said, you know, you guys brought so much stuff here that you almost put our local businesses out of business. Because people were now taking what you had and nobody was buying from us. And so our local businesses were getting shut down. So think about that, if you have a local business, if all of a sudden people you know, are bringing that product in and now nobody's buying yours, you can't help the economy return to what it needs to be or help it build. So uh, what I can tell you, if you do want to give cash to Haiti, uh, uh, you can do it with confidence because Missionary Flights International has missionaries and pastors on the ground there that they will get that cash too, and then those folks will be in a godly way distributing it to people that uh, that need it. All right, and um, in the ways that it's needed, you can do that online with them, um, or if you really want, you could. I would encourage you really just to go online and do it that way. But if you feel like you'd like to give some cash, we'll make sure it gets there. But again, you can go online and do it right through there, and uh, that'll happen. Now, well, the stuff that everybody's been bringing. Uh, which is good. I'm glad you guys brought stuff. Um, and in fact, I saw a picture of the warehouse. They were packing up a bunch of stuff the other day, and they're expecting a ton of stuff to come in today. That stuff is going to the Bahamas. Um, the Bahamas, now see, Haiti, it costs a buck fifty a pound to ship whatever you bring to Haiti. So that 10-pound bag of rice costs 15 bucks to ship. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. But it costs a lot of money to ship. And, and then by the time you get that product into customs, See, during the earthquake, Customs was even saying it was duty-free, and they weren't charging. But now the Haitian Customs agents are charging as though you're going to sell it. So that you know, $7 bag of rice you brought is going to end up costing about 30 35 bucks, whereas cash doesn't cost anything to ship, and there's no tax on that. So that can get into Haiti that way. But the Bahamas, they're little islands that don't have a way to truck stuff in, and MFI can get supplies to them for about $0.25 cents a pound. And so a lot of supplies are going into the Bahamas there. So Haiti needs cash, the Bahamas needs, um, needs stuff, and MFI needs help. 
uh, because all this stuff's coming into Missionary Flights International, which is right up in the Fort Pierce Airport. It's really not that far, and it's quite an operation. If you ever get to go down there and check it all out, it's, it's pretty awesome. You may want to continue to volunteer there because you'll see all the things they do and the needs that they have. Um, <coughs> the way it's going to work, they have a volunteer coordinator that trains everyone, and so uh, all you do, you don't have to call, don't have to make an appointment, just show up, up at the airport, and say, hey, I'm here to help. They'll hook you up with the volunteer coordinator. They'll train you in about five, 10 minutes on what they need you to do and not do. Um, probably don't want you flying their airplanes and you know, messing with the buttons and all of that, but everything else is pretty full, you know, fair game. Uh, <coughs> that just blew it for you out, right? But uh, so anyway, so they'll train you real quick and whether you have an hour to give or five hours to give or whatever, between the hours of eight and 4.30, they're available, just show up. And they'll train you, they'll put you to work, say, I gotta leave at noon, whatever. And you can do that as often as you would like. And um, in fact, uh, even after all of this is over, they're always looking for volunteers up there. And one of the cool things I see every time I've flown with them is there's volunteers that are local that have volunteered to actually fly on planes and help them load and unload stuff, help them you know, get through the customs, help them uh, serve, you know, be the stewardess or you know, the hostess on the plane. So you could do that if you have a passport. Uh, and you could be flying to Haiti, Dominican Republic, to the Bahamas, uh, helping out with that ministry. It's all volunteer and all their pilots, everybody are supported by you know, funding. The, they go raise their funds and say, here's what I'm doing for Christ. Will you support that? And so it's an awesome opportunity. So again, Haiti needs cash and you can be sure it's going the right place. Bahamas needs stuff, and you can know that's going in the right place, and they, MFI needs help. So if you have those availabilities, man, go do it. It'd be awesome. It's always awesome when we just kind of serve and we give ourselves, so that's where we're at. Any questions on any of that up there? All right, cool. Yes, Carol? Um, no, you can do checks or whatever. Just make it to Missionary Flights International. We'll make sure it goes up there, you know, but, or you can go online and you swipe a credit card. I know that's not as glamorous as going to Walmart and loading up a shopping cart, but just understand, man, cash is easy to get over there and it does a great job, so, and it helps pay for shipping. Yeah, Kevin? Sorry to interrupt, No, man, you raise your hand. It's not interrupting now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. To sustain the businesses, and yeah, definitely. I have friends that fly with MFI from Colorado there, and they said, yeah, we could buy stuff in the country, but for sending it over does not help our people. No, not at all. Yeah, I did. I did share that. So we're good, man. But now you have reiterated it. Awesome. All right. Well. Here's where we're at. You know, today our main point that we're going to really be just kind of driving home and looking at is, is what it, that, that Jesus is Lord. And, and, you know, this word Lord is a word that just simply means ultimate authority. And that's kind of hard for us in America. How many of you have a little rebellious state part to you? And whenever somebody says ultimate authority, you kind of want to balk up a little bit. Yeah, I see your hand if that's you. That's almost every one of us Americans. That's what, that's, the, that's what we came from. That's, you know, that's the litter that America bred was, you know, kind of that rebellious. We were kicked out of every nation, right, and, and formed a great nation, you know. But, 
But by us submitting to God, God did some great things. But it's, it's hard for us as Americans to understand this word Lord and ultimate authority. I think if we came from a true monarchy where there was a king, like back in the day, and you disobeyed the king, it was, you know, we would understand a little bit more. But it's not a bad thing that there's somebody that has ultimate authority. It's actually a good thing. You know, what are some good things about somebody having ultimate authority? Ellie? Yeah, it's his responsibility, right? It's not mine. And if, if I got a good Lord, one that is going to get done what he said he's going to get done, man, how awesome is that? That he takes responsibility and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And I don't have to do it, you know? Because, man, I'll tell you what, cleaning up after he's hurt, just getting my shutters back down and get, getting rid of the brush pop. Dude, man, I'm tired. I'm getting old, man. Anybody, anybody worn out from all that stuff? You know, so, or you find you got too much going on, but Jesus as our ultimate authority, there's so many benefits to that. And this is what Peter's driving home, not only in a positive sense of the benefits of an ultimate authority, but he's also going to drive it home in the negative sense that you can't cut your own deal with God. I've talked to at least no less than three people this week about Christ, and they've got this idea, well, I've got my own, I hear what you say, I'm listening to that, but I've got my own deal with God. You do not have your own deal with God. God is God, and he is the ultimate supreme authority. He calls the shots, and people say, but God loves me. And, you know, we got to be careful when we say that these days, because everybody, that's, that's the big mantra now, but God loves everyone. Jesus loves you. God loves you. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with telling people that God loves them. But if they take that to mean that when they die, he's going to excuse their sin without Christ, then they're totally wrong. They're totally wrong. God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross to pay for your sins. That whoever believes in him, whoever puts their faith and trust in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what John 3.16 is. Yes, God loves everyone. And he loves you to death right now until you die. But once you die without Christ, having rejected his, his phenomenal sacrifice of sending his son, man, you know what? You are now suffering the wrath of Christ. That love ends at death. He loves you so much while you're on this planet that he made a way for you to spend eternity with him. But once you leave this planet, that love's over if you don't have Christ. That's how he showed that love. So in this, Peter is talking to a Jewish audience. Remember how this all started in Acts chapter 2? Is that they were hanging out and the Holy Spirit came upon them. It sounded like a rushing wind. It, within the room, there was like a tongue of fire. It's like it. It's the only way they could describe it. And it split and went to another, split and went to another, split and went to another. And among themselves, they were all praising God and worshiping God. And they were not doing it in their own language. It's like me speaking Russian and Bree speaking Polish. And, you know, uh, you know, you speak in Spanish and you speak in New York and you speak in... Now I'm just messing with you guys. <laughs> It's like all of us speaking different dialects, you know, and all different languages we didn't know. And everybody just heard all of this. And everybody who wasn't in that room from the town, they all gathered. They're like, something's going on. I'm hearing a hurt, like a, like a wind, like a hurricane. And I'm hearing stuff that sounds crazy. And everybody from the town all came around because it was loaded from Passover. And, and, and there was a bunch of Jewish people that believed in God 
but they didn't believe in the Messiah. They missed God's plan in that aspect. And they were all there. And all of a sudden, at some point, Peter got up, now full of the Holy Spirit. Remember how he hid from a little servant girl the night of the crucifixion because he was terrified in the flesh? Now he's full of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't care who hears him. And he comes out in that, and he starts preaching a message to him. And that's what we've been looking at for the last few weeks of what he's preaching to him. And so in this message today, this is still the same message. He's speaking in their native tongue. They're hearing it that way. And he's now throwing it down who Christ really is in all of this. And so I got three points that all kind of go together. That I need you guys to help me remember today. Okay. And uh, I need you guys to, to help. And it's the three things he's going to share with them in this part of the message and the first one is he says, you witnessed his power. Everybody say that. You witnessed his power. You participated in his plan. Okay, so who's got the first part? The first two, all right? So the first one is you witnessed his power. You participated in his plan. You got that, Natalie? Go ahead. All right, so that's the first thing he's saying. He said he's going to show us that, man, you witnessed his power. You saw it the whole, 30, the whole 33 years of his life. The whole last three years, you saw, you witnessed his power. You participated in his plan, whether you wanted to or not. But then the last part, he says, is he goes in, he says, his resurrection proves he was not just a man. His resurrection proves he's not just a man. Everybody say that. His resurrection proves he's not just a man. All right, so let's put that all together again. You witnessed his power. You participated in his plan. His resurrection proves he was not just a man. All right, who's got that, man? Who can do that? Tom, you got it? Tom's like, oh, no, dude, don't ask. I saw that look. That's why I called on him. Who's got that, man? You witnessed his... You got it, because you're going to have to help me out on this. It's a tongue twister, and I'm going to miss it, but it's what God wants us to hear today. You witnessed his power. You participated in his plan. His resurrection proves he was not just a man. Come on, somebody's got that. Somebody's got it. I got it. You got to go, Kathy. You witnessed his power. You participated in his plan. His resurrection proves he was not just a man. Yeah. Now, how are you all going to preach that if you can't remember that, all right? Ellie, you got it. Go ahead. Come on, Ellie. Yeah, there it is. Because this is what you, this is a message the world needs to hear in this. So let's take a look at this part of this message here. Joyce, you glad I didn't call on you yet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, we're getting there. So Joyce, just had, what do you think the first point is again? You witnessed his power. Look at this. Verse 22, he says, men of Israel. He's talking to all these men who are there. Uh, for, the, for the Passover, all these men who are there trying to do their religious duty, who believe in God but rejected the Messiah. Uh, he says, hear these words. He speaks up really loud with a loud voice. He's preaching at this point. And remember what we learned before is that poster children preach. If you're a poster child, you're going to preach. Because if God's doing awesome things in your life. Hey, Natalie, what happened at the jail last week? Ashley, what happened at the jail last week? Would you all like to just tell us? Preach, girls. Come on, man. God moved through us and in that room. And there were a lot of women who committed themselves to Christ. And a lot of women who came to understand more of what the Holy Spirit is. Amen. And a few of them got saved, right? Yeah, man. Poster children preach. 
They got stuff going on inside that God's doing supernaturally. And can you keep it in? Can you keep it in? No, man, you can't, you can't help but just get it out. Listen to Chatty Cathy, man. That's why I think she's a balloon that's blown up. She can't help that it comes out. That's the same thing with me right now. And that's where we're all poster children preach. So Peter gets up full of Holy Spirit. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. And now he says, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, you say, well, why? You know, there were a bunch of people. Every town had a Jesus. There was Jesus of Fort Pierce, Jesus of Stewart, Jesus of Jensen. Hey, that sounds like a good little taco shop or something, right? <laughs> Jesus of Jensen, fish shop, fish and chip. I don't know. Uh, every town had a Jesus, but he said, this is Jesus of Nazareth. You know, the Nazareth where Nazareth was kind of the, you know, the place where it was like, my name is Earl. It's his town. It was where nothing good could come out of Nazareth. So he says, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, don't get this Jesus wrong. So listen up, guys. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. In other words, Jesus, he was a man. You know he was a man. He's trying to say his resurrection is going to prove that he was not just a man. But he was a man, 100% human, so that he could pay for our sins. <coughs> it says, a man attested by God to you by miracles. You know what that says? It says, God did miracles through this man. God showed power through this man. And it was proof that God's hand was on him. It was proof that he was God. And the book of Philippians tells us that Jesus, when he did miracles as a man, he didn't do them whenever he chose. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. But when he came to this earth, he said, I'm going to submit myself as, a, as, as an example to you all when you believe in me. But I'm going to submit myself to God the Father. And when God the Father wants me to do a miracle, Buddy, I'm going to do a miracle. When he wants me to display that power, I'm going to display that power like he did. Man, you remember when uh, Mary and Martha's brother was sick and he didn't show up for a few days? What happened to the brother Lazarus? Yeah. He died, man. And you remember when Jesus came walking into town late on purpose? He got a little Jesus swagger going on. And one of the sisters came up and was like, how dare you? I think, man, she might even have tried to slap him. I'm not sure. She was ticked. If you would have come sooner, my brother would not have died. But Jesus had a purpose in all of that. And, man, they were, they were mad at Jesus. They loved Jesus, but they were mad because he could have rescued his brother. And then Jesus, oh, God says, hey, Jesus, it's time to display the power. And so what did Jesus do? He took a guy. They, he, he took a guy who had been dead for how long? Three days. And why? When he first said, roll away the stone, they said, no. Why didn't they want to roll away the stone? They said, this is worse than roadkill, dude. This is stinking. We don't roll. He's dead. There's no doubt about it. Someone who's dead. And what did Jesus do? He rolled away and he said, Lazarus, come out. Aren't you glad he just didn't say come out? You imagine how many people would have come out of that grave? But he said, Lazarus, come out. And, and Lazarus is in glory in heaven going, oh, do I really have to leave heaven? Dude, I got really, yeah, but my master's called me and he came. Man, do you have the power to take something dead and make it alive? That's the power. They saw his power over and over again. One of my favorite is when he took dirt and he picked it up and he spit in it and made mud and put it in someone's eyes who has been blind. And what happened? They were able to see. 
He chose to do that at that point. A guy who had for, I think it was like 37 years, 30-something years, had been crippled. How, how many of y'all have a hard time after you've been sitting during one of my messages? How many of y'all have a hard time getting up when Kathy says, let's get up and sing another song? How many of y'all like kind of like, oh, you know, getting bones going again? <clears throat> Can you imagine not moving for 37 years or for 30-something for years? And that man popped right up to his feet. He said, you guys witness God's power. There's no doubt. You guys remember the first time when we had a big crowd and I asked, and, and Peter's here, man, he's thinking back when Jesus asked him, how are you going to feed this big crowd? And they're trying to send him off to 7-Eleven and they ain't got no money. And, 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 and you know, Publix is closed, man, and nothing's going, and Jesus is like, how are we going to feed him? And they're like, we don't know. And, and, you know, they got a few crackers and a few little sardines. And what did Jesus do? He prayed over it. And all of a sudden, thousands of people were fed. And then after that, do you remember what happened? They got in a boat and they took off. And after, while they're taking off, man, there was a hurricane force winds just rocking the seas and rocking the boat. Jesus was sleeping, right? He's sleeping in that boat. And they're like, don't you care? And he gets up and he says, peace be still. And he calms it. And instantly it's calm, man. Man. Do you think in St. Augustine last week, people would have, if they could have said, peace be still, if they could have held back the water, they would have held back the water. But that's God's power. That's God's job. And then you remember, they did it again. They took the disciples out. Jesus took them out and had a bunch of people and they all need to be fed. And he's like, hey, guys, how are we going to feed them? I don't know. And so he said, just sit them down and get, a bunch, get whatever there is. And there's a bunch of little food. And he fed them again. And then he took them through another storm. And he demonstrated his power over and over and over again. And so they witnessed his power. He's telling these guys in this message, you witnessed his power over again. It says he was a man attested or proven by God to you by miracles. Jews needed a sign. You want a sign to know he was supernatural? You look at these miracles, these wonders, and these signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourself also know. Look at all of this. He's just pointing the finger and he's just saying God attested to him by miracles, wonders, which he did through him in your midst. You were there in your midst as you yourself also know. You, there is no doubt. You cannot tell me you didn't see this stuff. You can't tell me you didn't see it. What other miracles did Jesus do? Help me out, guys. What's one sticking in your mind right now? Water to wine. Water to wine. Yeah, man, are you thirsty right now? Is that was kind of a subcon? Uh, <coughs> yeah, water to wine. Man, can you do that? <laughs> no. Ellie, what was one sticking out? Oh, my goodness. Walking on water. Yeah, we can't, I can't do that without a surfboard, without a longboard. And I can barely do it then, huh, Tom? <laughs> what else? Anybody else got another miracle? Yeah, Bree. He cured leprosy. He cured leprosy, man. Exactly. And, and, and not only was that important physically, but it was important emotionally because when someone was a leper, they were ostracized. They didn't have a family. They didn't have a home. They were with a bunch of people that were all a bunch of rejects because they had to be out there. They, would make, they were so contagious and they would infect other people and so emotionally it was probably worse than even physically and when he cured him of lepsy and healed that lady of her issue of blood for so many years and she'd spent all her resources on it and he just healed her he brought her back in where she now felt like she's part of a family she's now accepted she's loved by somebody rejections worse 
That emotional as rejection is way worse than the physical rejection. So often. What else? Who's else got a miracle? Yeah. Yeah, dude, twice he fed all the people, man. Again, yeah, that's that's something. All right, yeah, Kathy. Cast out demons. Cast out demons, yeah, man. And uh, did that numerous times because before the Holy Spirit, before Pentecost, he was the only God that was there. And yeah, demon possession was rampant by the time Jesus came on this planet. But since, and it will be again after the rapture. Right now, where is God? Is he, where's God? He's in you, he's in you, he's in you, he's in you. The Holy Spirit is here holding back evil in this day. You think it's evil now? Man, you think it's bad now. Wait till all the believers leave with the Holy Spirit and we're all gone. And you want to see evil run rampant. It's going to be like it was before Jesus came back again. Casting out demons, absolutely. Who else? Ella, you had another one. Oh, Tom, go ahead. Died and then he came back to life. Yes, resurrection. Man, and, and then he vanished in front of Yes. So he said, so that's the point here. What's the first point again? You witnessed his power. Everybody say again, you witnessed his power. Man, look at somebody. No, I hate when preachers do this, but just look at somebody next to you and say, You witnessed his power. You witnessed his power. How many people have witnessed his power? Amen. You know you've witnessed his power. I was sitting out here at the pavilion looking out at the beach today. And these are nothing compared, even Hawaii, these are nothing compared to hurricane. These are nothing compared to what my God can do. But boy, you can witness his power out there. If you don't believe me, let me baptize you after the service and you will witness his power indeed. So that's the first point in this message is, God, you can't deny God. You witnessed his power. What did we look at Monday night in our small group? You remember we looked at Romans chapter one. Who was in small group Monday night? You remember we, we talked about in Romans chapter one, he says, God doesn't believe in atheists. Did you know that? God doesn't believe in atheists. Atheists believe in atheists, but God doesn't. He says, by creation. By the miracle of creation, he says, you cannot deny there is a God. And you'll be held accountable for that. So whatever little seed of faith you have to believe in a God, water it, nurture it, fertilize it, let it grow. And man, how many of you have had that seed of faith grow in your life? It's awesome, isn't it? Keep growing it. Do whatever it takes to grow it because this world's not going to grow it. It's going to try to kill it. But fortunately, if you have eternal life, it can't take it away. So the first point in this message that he says, man, is he says, you guys, you have witnessed his power. There is undeniable evidence. You saw a miracle. In fact, half of you, that's the only reason you followed him, was you just wanted to see another sideshow, man. You wanted to see another miracle, but you missed the point. The point is that he's Lord and he's Christ. He's the Messiah and he's the master in all of this. So the first one again, you witnessed his power. What's the second one? Did you guys know that you participate in his plan? Do you know that the biggest heathen in this world who is anti-Christ, Christian, anti-God, they participate in God's plan? Do you know that, that God is so awesome that he can take our own free will? He can take the decisions we make that we are making because of circumstances and situations, and those fit perfectly within his sovereignty. 
that he is in control even though we are making our own individual decisions. Now, if I could fully explain that and understand that, I could bring denominations together. <laughs> I could bring Calvinists and Armenians together and they wouldn't fight anymore. But the fact is, I love how J. Vernon McGee, this old country preacher, anybody heard of J. Vernon McGee, man? Yeah, that dude, he says that the sovereignty of God and the free will of man are like two tracks on a, uh, two rails on a train track. He said they aren't ever going to cross. He said, but you can't get nowhere without both of them. <laughs> and so in God, he give, we have a free will. We choose things. We decide things. God did not make us a robot. Because if he did and we chose him, it wouldn't be love. The only way we can show God we love him is by choosing him. When you're faced with a choice, do this or this, and you say, I love you, God, and I want to show you that I love you, it's only by choosing to do it his way. That is the only way we can demonstrate our love to him, is by choosing him. And so he didn't make us robots, because then we couldn't love him. But at the same time, we're not in control. However the selection turns out or doesn't turn out, if we have it or we don't have it, whatever happens with Putin, and whatever happens with all the world leaders and ISIS and all these, uh, you know what, that is not going to change anything in God's plan. Amen. It's all part of it. God knows what's going on already. Marilyn and Robert, who are sitting up here right now, or usually sitting right up here right now, she's in the hospital and she's over in the Martin South over in Salerno uh, Thursday night. While we were in life group uh, on Thursday night studying God's word, she wasn't feeling very well and a little dizzy, so she stayed home. Robert was there. Robert came home and found out she had fallen, and she couldn't get up, and she was not feeling too hot. And she just thought, well, this happens a lot. You know, I'll just live with it. Well, the next morning, she woke up in excruciating pain. She couldn't move, and she broke her hip. And um, Amy went, saw her on that later that day. They weren't sure how far they were going to go with all the surgery, if it would be a complete replacement or what. But the bottom line is she has a broken hip. You know, she's in for a long haul, and she was scared the same way you would be scared in that. But, man, the words God gave me when I talked to her, I just said, I was studying this, and, and it just came up, and I'm not being insensitive. It was just like, man, Marilyn, I just want you to be comforted to know that the Lord the one in charge of everything is not freaking out over this. I know you are, and I am, and Robert is, and other people. We're all freaking out because we don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know what you can do, what you can't do. We don't know if it's going to heal or not. We don't know any of that. But our Lord does, and he loves you. And you have given your life to him. He, you're his child, and he's got a purpose in all of this. We've got to just help each other see it from God's perspective. Every single day it's like this. You know, it's all part of God's plan. Them rejecting Christ, them crucifying Christ, them making fun of Christ, all of that was part of God's plan, including the people who were there listening to this message. Peter said, you cannot deny his power. You witnessed his power. You participated in his plan. You thought you were making your own decision. You thought you were trying to make things happen your way. You thought you were in charge, but I'm here to tell you today, it was all part of God's plan. And you know what? The sooner we realize we're not in charge, the better off we'll be. Amen. The sooner we will submit ourselves to his authority, the more we will seek out his authority and say, what is it you want me to do? Instead of us just doing our own thing and suffering the consequences of that. How many of y'all ever suffered the consequences of a wrong decision? <laughs> How many of y'all had to? 
You didn't have to. I don't have to, but it happens, man. So he first said, man, he said, you witnessed his power. But in this next verse, 23, he says, you participate in his plan, whether you believe it or not. The same way Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar did. The same way King Sennacherib did. The same way every other heathen who's rejected God has. Look what he says. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose. Think of that. Determined purpose. Have you ever had a determined purpose? You know, tell me some of your determined purposes. <laughs> determined purpose. I'm going to, Kathy said, man, maybe it was hard for you to get here today. And it was like, I'm determined I'm going to get here. You know, when I'm out paddleboarding, I had a couple, four ladies out there yesterday and it got windy and we were going against the current and I saw some determined purposes. They were paddling. Yes. And they knew that if they lost their determined purpose, they were going backwards. You ever been there trying to get out on a big day? You're duck diving and, and another wave hits you in order to keep going and get out. Have you ever like thought you were really far and then you look and the shore's right there. You're like, oh. But to get out past those waves, man, you've got to have a determined purpose. And here's God's determined purpose. Look, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge. That's more than foreknowledge is more than God being able to predict the future. Foreknowledge is God coming up with the most loving future that you could have, the most loving experience, the most awesome experience, and him making it happen. In spite of you doing whatever it is you want to do, he is such an awesome manager, he can do that. Tom, in your shop, your employee, your guys, are, anybody who's a business friend, you ever have people make decisions and do things that totally mess up your plan <laughs> of how you were going to have it happen? Yeah, it doesn't mess up God's plan. It only messes up your day, right? You understand that? When you disobey God, it doesn't mess up God's plan. It only messes up your day. That's it. God's plan's going on, business as usual. You may have now forfeited the opportunity to be a viable part of that by your decision to go the other way. Whereas if you would have stayed and been obedient, man, you could be experiencing the biggest blessing. So he says, him being delivered, he was delivered to you. You didn't capture him. You suckered Judas into pay, paying him 30 pieces of silver and him kissing Jesus up on the mountain, up on the, you know, and him doing that. that you didn't capture him. You didn't have to even go through all of that. It was God's determined purpose and foreknowledge. It says, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put him to death. So yes, you went through the motions. You went through it and did it. It was your hard heart that rejected him and made the decisions to do all of this, but it was God's purpose. So here's a question you might be asking, the same one you would ask with Pharaoh, when it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. And, and anybody else who it was part of God's plan that they did the wrong thing. You know, you're saying, well, then how could God hold them accountable for doing the wrong thing? If it was God's plan, how can God hold that against them? Because it was God's plan. Well, you see, the thing is, is without Christ, your heart is hard. Your heart wants what, you, what only you want. It's only a soft heart that will want what God wants, but a hard heart wants what it wants, and God knows what that is. And that hard heart can fit right into his plan. So does God want you to do the wrong thing? Absolutely not. Does he know ahead of time you're going to do the wrong thing? Yeah. And he knew from the beginning of time what you were going to do. He didn't set you up to fail. God has set you up to succeed as a believer. You have the Holy Spirit of God leading you in the right way. You do the wrong thing. It's by your choice. But God knows what your choice is. 
God knows what your heart is when you're not following him. Your heart is hard. And so that does fit into his plan. If I could explain it also, I'd be teaching at a, at a seminary and getting it right. <laughs> I'm just telling you guys, these are things we're going to have to just trust by faith. But we know we make our own decisions. And we know God works out his plans. There's promises everywhere. These people are only accountable. Judas, what about Judas? Is it Jesus' fault that it was God's plan that Judas do that to turn him in? So is that, is that God's fault? Did he set Judas up to fail? No, he knew what was in Judas's heart. And it happened to work out into his plan. There's always somebody willing to do what they want to do. And it works out in God's plan. God's a genius. God is the ultimate manager. How many of you would say that there's times where life's not manageable? <laughs> Life gets unmanageable. Sometimes it's just kind of, what do we do next? How's this going? Man, I want you to know that's the advantage of having the Lord. The Lord can manage anything. And if you have any, how many of y'all have to go to a professional to learn how to manage things? You know, you want to go buy a house? Hey, can I go, can I just go like buy a house? I, I could, but what, what is the benefit of going to a realtor? So, I'm just like, there are many. There are many. And one, yeah, dude, well, Tom, I can work on my own animals, dude. I did it way before vet. But what's the advantage of going to a vet? <laughs> You've got knowledge, you've got machinery, you've got, man, what's the benefit? Hey, going to electric, I could do my own electric, by the way, and I'm getting ready to work on the 220 on my pool right now. Yeah. I don't really know how it's going to work out, but. <laughs> but there's an advantage going to somebody who knows what they're doing, isn't it? You know? Now look at the Lord. Hey, I'm going to cut my own hair, Val and Natalie. <laughs> That's going to work out pretty good. Is there an advantage to going to somebody who knows what they're doing and cutting your hair? Absolutely. There's advantages in going to professionals, people who are equipped and know what they're doing. There's advantages. I'm going to do my own taxes. I'm going to, I'm going to do, you know what? I'm taking over all the finances of Driftwood and all the legal, and all the legal obligations. We've got about 10 minutes left. <laughs> There's advantages to knowing what each of you know. But so in this, if you would admit that life is sometimes unmanageable, it's really always unmanageable. The more we realize we can't manage it, the more dependent we will become upon the ultimate manager, which is the Lord. Because is there anything unmanageable for him? No. Look in the mirror. And if he can manage you, <laughs> I'm just looking at you all right now, man. I'm just, if he can manage you and he can manage me, and he can manage all of us and everybody else in the world, even people who don't want to listen to him, man. How good could he manage things for us who want to obey? They say, God, what should I do with this right now? God, how should I handle this? How much more success could we have if we let the manager of managers manage our stuff that needs to be managed? You know what I'm saying? I don't even know what I just said, but it makes sense. It makes sense. He can manage it all. And he's got the plan. So they, they help me out with the first part. They were witnesses to his power. They participated in his plan. The resurrection was proof he was not just a man. So let's take a look at this next little section in there. Look what happens. He says, whom God raised up. There it is. God rose him from the... You, you know, do you guys know that for 40 days, hundreds upon hundreds of people saw Jesus raised from the dead? I, I don't know. The world doesn't really want us to know that. 
I bet you CNN's not telling us that right now. I bet you they're not. Fox isn't telling us that either, okay? But the fact is, is the Bible's telling us, the truth is telling us that for 40 days, hundreds upon hundreds of people saw Jesus raised from the dead. So he says, man, you witnessed his power, you participated in his plan and his resurrection. You know he was risen from the dead. This was no secret that happened in the corner without, uh, happened in the corner as a secret thing. It wasn't like that. You know, everybody here saw this go down. It says, whom God raised up. Look at, listen to this. This is awesome. How many of y'all ever been pregnant before? How many of y'all had kidney stones and felt pregnant? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Only JJ. <laughs> but you'll, you'll agree with this. You'll love it. All right. Look at this, this wording in here. He says, whom ra God raised up. Talking about Jesus. God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Okay, check this out, man. This is awesome because this is actually an analogy talking about childbirth. When it says loose the pains, those are talking about birthing pains. And when he says loose the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held in, that's talking about when you give birth. Ashley, you remember giving birth? Was it, when it came time, was there any way to hold that baby in? Dude, that baby, hey, how many of y'all gave birth again? A collective answer? It, when it was time for that baby to come out, what happened? Was there anything you could do to hold it in? It's time. Boom. It's not coming. It's not. I can only take your word for it and the Bible's word for it. Amen. Praise Jesus. I'm a man. And I am not worthy. I am not. Believe me, I don't want to experience that beyond kidney stones. That was just the pain part. And yes, when it's time for those to go, it was not wanting to be held in either. But in this, man, that's what he's saying. The grave couldn't hold Jesus anymore. Then the womb could hold a baby who is ready to be delivered. Man, and it's time to come out. It's coming out. And it says the grave could not hold him in. He was raised from the dead. There was no way. It came. He came and he came with such force and he came with power. And that resurrection is proof that he's not just a man. He's man. He's God. Look at the next part. He throws a couple of prophecies in, and you can read these prophecies later. I'm going to go through them a little bit and touch on them for just a hair because we've only got a few more minutes. But uh, um, it's all proof from the Old Testament to these Old Testament people who are looking for a Messiah that the Messiah has already come. He said he's talking about David, and David now as a prophet, which they didn't really view him as a prophet. They viewed him as a king. He said, I foresaw the Lord, David, this is in a psalm, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad, moreover my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades. Talking about when Jesus was buried and he was in the underworld, which I'll talk about in just a little bit, about he was not going to leave his soul dead, his, not his soul there, in the place of the dead, but he was going to raise it up again. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. So God's presence wasn't in the underworld. His presence was up in heaven. And so read the next one, Ethan. It says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. The tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet... Speaking about something other than his own experience and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the uh, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne. He foreseeing this, David foresaw it as a prophet. He said, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, 
that his soul, Christ's soul, was not to be left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And so Hades, what is referring to, if you go back to Luke 16 and you look at Lazarus and the rich man, the story there, it says there's a great gulf fixed between the righteous and the unrighteous. And this was before Christ went here. And the Bible tells us later that after the resurrection, Christ freed the captives. The captives were the people who were in the righteous compartment of Hades. It's not meaning that Jesus necessarily, that he went to hell and fought with the devil or any of that kind of junk. The people who were, who were in hell are there for how long? The people of all ages who have rejected the fact that God would send a Messiah and the ones of this age that say God didn't send a Messiah, when they go to hell, how long are they there for? Forever. But at that point in time, we know according to Luke 16, there was a place called paradise. Remember on the cross, Jesus even said uh, to the thief on the cross, this day you will be in with me. Right, because the dude on the cross believed and said, take me there. And so that was paradise, Hades, the whole thing was one thing. And there was a righteous compartment and an unrighteous compartment in all of that. And when Christ went, which compartment do you think he went to? Did he have sin? No, he went there and he freed the captives and he freed them and has now opened up heaven. Not the heaven we're going to see at the end of Revelation. That comes later. But he separated the righteous from the unrighteous where now the unrighteous are in hell. And it's not the eternal like a fire. It's not the final hell. That will happen again, just like the final heaven will happen. And in, in, we'll see at the end of Revelation. But he came, and but the point is, is that God wasn't going to leave him dead. That was the point of this prophecy. The point of the prophecy was that God was going to raise him from the dead. And so verse 32 again, it says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all what? <clears throat> You've seen it. <clears throat> There's not a single one of you out here that did not witness this. And back then when he was preaching, he's talking first and you are you all saw you know somebody that saw him there is nothing undeniable about the fact that he was raised from the dead therefore and whenever you see a therefore you got to look at the previous verses to see what the therefore is therefore so he's saying because you are all witnesses he says therefore being exalted to the right hand of god that's where jesus is he was exalted raised and, he's, and the Bible said he's sitting on the right hand of God. And, and again, I've said this bad joke before, but that's why little kids think that he, God's left-handed because Jesus is sitting on his right hand. Get it? All right. I, I, I brought that up more than I should ever. But it's a bad joke, but that's not it. Right hand is power. The right hand is power. And so Jesus is sitting on the authority side of God. You want to read, go read the second chapter of Philippians and you will see that God has exalted him above all others. Jesus is the ultimate authority in charge of everything in the same way that God the Father, Jesus submitted to God the Father and, and said, I'm only going to do things on this earth when you tell me. The same way God the Father has now given all authority on heaven and earth to Jesus. That's what Jesus told us in the Great Commission, isn't it? At the end of Matthew, he said, he said, all authority starts out with that Great Commission. He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. All authority. He said, there, he said now go. I got all authority. I'm the cop. I'm the one in charge. I'm the, I'm, no one's got more authority than me. I'm in charge, and I'm telling you, go. As you are going throughout your life, make disciples. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things I've taught you. And he said, oh, and by the way, not only do I have all authority, but I'm with you always. That's our mandate. The Lord, the one who is in charge of it all, has given us one job. One job only as believers. That's why he's left us here. One job. You, you ever heard somebody say, you have one thing to do, right? <laughs> you have one thing. And you know, have you ever seen somebody who got that one thing wrong? <laughs> You're like, how could you miss it? One thing. That was it. <laughs> Put the shutters up or whatever it was, you know? One thing. Our one thing is to go, as we are going, make disciples. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in case you don't know what disciple making is, he said, it's teaching others to observe what I've taught you. The way we say it at Driftwood is teaching each other to observe, helping each other to uh, see life from God's perspective. So as God shows Karen something, Karen shows it to Heidi. As Heidi sees something from God, she shares it with Carol. Carol sees something, she goes back to Karen and they go back and forth. And we keep sharing it with each other. But even more importantly than that, we share it with people who don't know. That's our one thing. So when you sit down before God at judgment, you're going to heaven. But when you stand before him, is he going to say, man, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to look at you and say, dude, Matt, you had one thing. One thing. You did all this, but you had one thing. And that's what I've got to look at in the mirror all the time. But if I could go to Africa, I could do it. If I could go here and do it. No, dude, one thing right now as you're going. Do you know you're exactly where God wants you right now? Is God big enough to move you if he wants to move you? You bet. How many of you have ever been moved by God? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in many ways. He can move you. You just make sure you're doing that one thing. So he says, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that there was a gift coming from the Father that would be the Holy Spirit. It would be just like him, only he could live in each of us. Go read the end of John, John 14, 15, 16. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who's going to be there as Jesus living inside each one of us 24-7. He says, therefore, being exalted to the right hand and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit... He poured out this, which is what you see now, what you now see in here. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you guys all came around wondering what was going on. I'm telling you what it is. It's proof of the resurrection, proof that Jesus is Lord. And it's, that's what you're seeing. He's poured that out. It couldn't happen unless Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Next verse. He goes on. He throws another prophecy that they would understand. David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies footstool. That's a, a, a psalm where Jesus and God are talking, only they're using David to do it, and it can be confusing, but that's just really what it is. So verse 36, this is where we end today. He says, therefore, therefore, because, what's the first part again? You witnessed his power. You participated in his plan. And it's proof that he's more than just a man or not just a man. He says, therefore, because of those three things, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. What does assuredly know? Uh, well, if you know something, you know it. But know assuredly. <laughs> you know that you know. Yeah, you know that you know. Let you have no doubt about it because of those three things. There should be no doubt about it. 
Let all of the house of Israel know for sure without a doubt that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. How many of y'all have ever been in the county? You you were talking with somebody that you didn't know who you were talking to, and you kind of got them ticked off, and you realized they're the one that you really wanted to butter up. (laughs) Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever? And then all of a sudden, well, I want to speak to the manager. And like, oh, I'm the manager. (laughs) You know, that's kind of what he's saying here, only he's talking about the manager of the universe. The manager of the universe, the very one who could have rescued you, who could do anything for you, that's the one who you crucified. I want you to know God made him Lord. Lord, kurios. Kurios is the word, and it means ultimate authority. Go look it up, and there's so many definitions, but that's the bottom line is it's ultimate authority. He made him the ultimate authority in Christ. That word Christ is the word where it's translated as Messiah. They have been waiting for the Messiah. There's one person they've been waiting for. How long have they been waiting? Since Adam and Eve. You guys remember when Adam and Eve sinned and the, the sentence came down and said, Eve, it's going to hurt to have birth. How many of y'all would agree with that? <laughs> well, we have epidurals and all those drugs. You guys, it's a piece of cake now, right? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But, but he says it's going to hurt. And he said, but one day your seed is going to crush the head of Satan. They thought the next child they had was going to do that. They thought it was going to be instant the same way as us. But it wasn't quite instant, was it? How about when they tried to cover their own sins by taking leaves and making a covering? God said, no, no, no. You know what? I'm going to kill an innocent animal and shed his blood to make coverings for you. Since now you're ashamed of being naked because you see evil part of it and not just the good. How about Abraham when he took his only begotten son Isaac up on a mountain because God said sacrifice him. And out of obedience, he knew, his, he knew that the, the covenant couldn't go beyond that if he killed his son, but he didn't know how God was going to work it out. So he tied his teenage son up, and his teenage son submitted somehow. And he's got him, and his son's like, like, Dad, Dad, I see the wood, I see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, out of faith, says, but God will provide himself a lamb. And he took the knife and was getting ready to kill his only son out of faithfulness to God, because that's what God said, and God said, stop. And there was a ram, there was a lamb, ram stuck in the thicket that God had provided. That was a picture again of the Messiah. Man, you, anywhere you cut the Bible, it bleeds. Do you know why Jewish women were disgraced when they couldn't have a baby? It's because every one of them had the hopes of having the Messiah. And if they were barren, then the Messiah wouldn't come through them. They have been looking for the anointed one, the Messiah, Ever since Adam and Eve, man, that had been the promise. Everywhere you look in the Bible. And at the end of this right here, Peter says, this dude who you witnessed his power, you participated in his plan. The resurrection proves he was more than just a man. I want you to understand that guy. He is not only in charge, but he is the one you have been waiting for. So what are you going to do with it now? You want to find out what they did. Come back next week. (laughs) But what are you going to do with it? You know, what are you going to do with it? He is the Christ. There's no other Christ. There's no other man. Go look at what God said about Christ in his word. There is no other Christ. He's the one. 
He is the truth, the life. No one comes to God except by through him. He's it. He's everything. He's the one you can set all your affections, all your attention, all your everything on. He's God. He's Christ. He's God's chosen. He is God. But not only that, he's the one that's in charge. He's the one who is going to judge the world when he comes back. He's the one who's in total authority of everything. And he loves you. Until you die without him. And then you just have his wrath. But if you've got him, he's your Lord. He gave you the desire and the ability to follow him, to surrender your life. So if you've done that, man, just realize what an awesome deal that is to have him. When David wrote Psalm 23 and he said, the Lord, he's my shepherd. A sheep couldn't take care of any. A sheep's total success or failure was based upon who his shepherd was. And David said, the Lord, man, he's my shepherd. You can say that. The Lord, that's my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And you can see all the benefits in him being Lord and let him do what he's supposed to do. And you do what you're supposed to do. That one thing. <laughs> one thing. <laughs> that's how you worship him. That's how you show you love him. That one thing. You do that. And he'll take care of all his other stuff. But if you're busy trying to take care of all his stuff, he's just going to sit down and say, let me know when you're done. Let me know when you figure it out it doesn't work out. So, man, I'd love for you to just ask him, say, God, where do I need to let you be Lord? Jesus, where do I need to let you be Lord? Where am I letting you be Lord? And be encouraged to say, where do I need to let you be my Lord? So that you can just relieve me of all this stress and pressure and stuff I'm not supposed to experience and I can worship you. But if you have never given your life to him, later in the book of Acts, it's going to say, Peter's going to speak up and say, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, everyone will do that. And if you can confess he's Lord, but he's also your Savior, you're in heaven. But if he's only your Lord, then not your Savior. You're going to be in hell. So if you're here today, and God's spoken to your heart. It's not me. I'm not trying to talk you into anything, convince you anything. It's got to be the Holy Spirit of God giving you desires. If he's given you a desire, surrender yourself to him, do it. Surrender yourself more, do it. Whatever it is, do it. He's Lord. I'm just speaking on his behalf.